This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. Each week we preview and review the big business and market stories with Craig Earlham, Oanda Senior Market Analyst in London. And it's a very good morning to you, Craig. How are you doing? I'm good, mate. How are you? I'm pretty good. It's been an incredible last seven days since we uh, spoke. And as predicted, we will, after all, have that December election. I think you got something right for a change. I wouldn't go that far. On the downside, you said that New Zealand would beat England. (laughs) And where are we now? England, the Rugby World Cup final tomorrow. We'll come to that at the end. I also said uh, South Africa would beat Wales. So, I mean, I'll 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 take one for two. Having said all that, let's leave the rugby for the time being and concentrate on a crazy political and economic time. Um, It seems to, I seem to say that every single week, but uh, we have a general election. Uh, Boris Johnson is currently way ahead in the polls, but I have a sneaking suspicion that we might be in exactly the same place this time six weeks today that we have been over the last two or three years. He's uh, way ahead in the polls, but he's also dead in a ditch. So I'm not sure how useful that's actually going to come when it uh, when it when, when it comes time for, for actual voting okay. and that, someone to step the, forward. Uh, that's the reference to the October the 31st <laughs> deadline, which we'll come to in a minute, where he said he'd rather be dead in a ditch. Yeah, and it was do or die, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But that's sort of passed by, hasn't it, over the last 48 hours because everybody's been focusing on this election. What do what what is the city thinking about? What are markets thinking about this at the moment? Are they nervous about it? Not at all. Markets are so chilled. We saw the uh, pound rally to around 130 against the dollar and hover around kind of 129 after that in the immediate aftermath of the deal being achieved. And it's just stayed there ever since. Even with the announcement of the election, there was no upside, there was no downside. It was just kind of, well, yeah, this probably does need to happen. Uh, and as you say, the, the bookmakers have uh, Boris Johnson as favourite, clear favourite, and actually uh, a conservative majority uh, as still being the most likely outcome. Now, I would stress that the bookmakers also had it above 90% that the UK would remain in the EU on the night of the referendum. So they're not always uh, correct. And the spread bet on Theresa May's election, I think something like 120 seats she was going to win by. Exactly. So these things aren't always accurate. And to be honest, I also think this is the most unpredictable election of my lifetime. I can't I can't think of another election that's been mm. quite, uh, quite as unpredictable as this because we have to remember, this is ultimately a general election. Who do you want to lead this country for the next five years? But then it's also going to be a heavily Brexit-focused election. Who do you want... Uh, to lead us through Brexit and do you want to leave at all if you're voting for the Lib Dems, for example. Um, and those things don't always cross. What is it, more than half of Labour seats voted to leave the EU? Um, so so the, the, the issues may not necessarily fully align. You could be a typical Labour fan and go Lib Dem. You could be a typical Tory and decide, you know what, I might actually go Labour. Like it, it's, it's, so, it's so difficult to uh, assume what people are going to do in these seats. I think For me, I can't help but think really what we're actually facing here is a situation whereby it's not about Conservatives, Labour. Yes, Conservatives are favourite to get a majority, but what it is ultimately is the second referendums versus the leave on the 31st of October. So you have the Lib Dems, the Labour Party, the SNP, the Greens on one side, you have the Conservatives, the Brexit Party on the other, and somewhere in between you have the DUP. It's a case of which of those two factions can get a majority in Parliament. Uh, I can't help but think it would be, in a weird way, I don't want to carry 
Italian talking about this uh, forever, but I can't help but think it would be kind of funny in a weird way if the second referendum has uh, secured a majority of seats and the Brexiteers actually won the popular vote because who would then have an actual... Um, Very possible. Yeah, who would actually have a mandate. Would, would there be a mandate, therefore, to second referendum or for, uh, for leaving on the 31st? And that's just how Brexit has gone so far. So that's something like that just wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. But I think that's really going to be the important part so far. Um, and I think it's going to be a fascinating, fascinating uh, six weeks because the difference between now and 2017 is in 2017, both parties were main parties and there were only two parties competing really in 2017. Both were committed to leaving, uh, but they wanted separate deals and that's what they were campaigning on. Now we've got something totally different. We have uh, the Lib Dems who want to remain. We have Labour who want to con- who want uh, their own deal with a second referendum. You've got the Conservatives who want to leave with Boris's deal and you've got Brexit Party with no deal. That is four completely different choices and that's what makes this so interesting. We haven't got to the point though yet when... They are out campaigning, particularly those people in the Labour Party who will say that they will vote for Remain uh, should there be a second referendum. And that is not going to go down particularly well with the northern working class Brexit vote. Well, let, let's face it, the, 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 these people, we like to pretend that MPs are stupid, but they're not. Um, we, have P, we have MPs who are in Remain areas. So where I am uh, is a Lib Dem seat where 70% of people voted to Remain. I can guarantee that candidate is going out on the street saying, I'm going to push for Remain and uh, because he knows his audience. There's going to be Labour politicians where, yes, they are in seats that are heavily Remain, if I look at like, the likes of Liverpool and things like that. And yeah, they're probably going to be campaigning saying, I'm going to block Brexit. Exit, and they know that will go down well with a supporter base. But then there is going to be areas where the constituencies where it's going to be tight, and I'm sure they'll be peddling the. I don't want to say which way I'll vote. I want to see what 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 kind of agreement we get from the EU, an agreement which is good for you, which is good for industry, which is good for jobs, which isn't Boris's deal. And then we will decide how we will campaign based on what deal we get. It's clever politics. It's about deciding which way you want to go. Obviously, there's there's about what is it about 16 Labour seats currently where they voted heavily to leave. Um, I'm sure they'll be saying that we are committed to leaving and we want to respect your vote everyone's going to be campaigning slightly different than this and again that's what makes it so interesting there's not one clear message on either side per se there is many different messages within the broader message of what the, that party's supporting and there's going to be a lot of tactical voting as well apparently something like 40 percent of people have not voted for the same party in two consecutive elections so the idea of the floating voter is even more extreme than it ever was and we could see a situation of, which would be very bad for the Conservatives and Boris Johnson uh, where people vote tactically to the point where that vote is squeezed within the Conservative Party. They'll lose to the Brexit Party, lose to the Lib Dems and lose to Labour as well because they're kind of out there on their own. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a, it's a really interesting situation. There's literally websites now set up for how you can tactically vote to get the outcome on Brexit you want rather than thinking about any other issue. It's purely making this a Brexit issue. Everyone's seen this as a second referendum ultimately on Brexit and I do think there are there is a case for that but I think there's also faults uh, with that as well. What this is is the most polarising campaign that I can think of because you almost you can quite easily stereotype every leader of every party. People are claiming that uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Corbyn is a communist. People think saying that the Etonian Boris, people thinking wacky yeah. uh, Nigel and uh, undemocratic Joe Swinson because she wants to overturn the it's will of the people. It's only going to get worse, isn't it? It's, it's only going to get worse. This yeah. is going to be a really bitter, nasty. really divisive, nasty campaign. And, uh, and 
personally, I just can't wait for it to finish one way or another because yeah. I, I do feel that uh, whichever way we end up going, we do need to move past this. And an election was not just inevitable, but it was absolutely necessary in order to try and at least fix the numbers. Because ultimately, if this doesn't fix the numbers, and like I say earlier, uh, as an example, if we have a parliament, which is a hung parliament, where we've got effectively 52-48 on either way, on popular vote on the other, um, and we have no we have no way of getting through this. A second referendum is unfortunately the only way that we could, that this can actually be resolved because you can't just keep having election after election after election and hoping things change. What's with the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and hope to get a different result. I think at this point, if we get another hung parliament that can't resolve this dispute, there has to be a second referendum just simply because we need to move on with our lives and see what it is the public wants right now. And what happens if you get 300, 650 seats altogether mm-hmm. and you get 300 conservative seats, which is possible, mm-hmm. uh, Labour get maybe 150, so half as many as the Tories, but you still have a Jeremy Corbyn coalition. That could happen. Markets would not like that. Well, this is the thing. It's it's going to be really interesting to see what markets like because there is this this is what seems to have been overlooked right now. I mean, how would you take a grand coalition of pro EU parties or anti No Deal Brexit parties um, uh, if it's led by Jeremy Corbyn? Because everyone it's quite clear that the markets don't favour a Jeremy Corbyn government. Like him or loathe him, whatever your personal political preference, we're only here to talk about what the markets prefer. And the markets don't yeah. like a Corbyn government. There's many people in the markets who actually believe that a Jeremy Corbyn majority government would actually be worse than a no deal Brexit uh, and again I'm not necessarily saying I agree with that or disagree with, with it we, you could effectively end up with both I mean the closet Brexiteer right um, but mm. I, I think I think the, the the important thing here is is how you weigh this up because yes in the near term if you get a Corbyn led grand coalition government of sorts then that actually far increases the chances of uh, of Remain because then you've got Corbyn going to the EU and negotiating a, uh, a new deal and that deal will probably be along the lines of custom union single market what many would deem a Brexit in name only and then you would put that to a second referendum and you had this vote which was so close last time around would all Brexiteers support uh, a Brexit in name only just out of just because they desperately want to have the will of the people from 2016 covered or would they say do you know what I'd rather remain than have this deal and what you actually end up with is a remain vote but then also a Corbyn government how do the markets take that one but one win one arguable uh, loss so like it, I say, it looks it's, like we're going to be in a permanent period of uncertainty and the biggest cliche about markets is they don't like uncertainty. But the way things are going, we could have another three and a half years of this. So predicting the outcome of this election is a mugs game. I, I truly do believe that because of the unpredictability of it. Um, I would say right now that um, I think... Time. here it comes. Well, it's not really, it's not even really a prediction, is it? I, I, I'd say it seems more likely that... Um, that Boris manages to get his majority. And the only the only mm. reason I think that is because I do think that part of what cost Theresa May in that last election is just big, that she is mind-numbingly boring. Terrible campaigner um, and a terrible, terrible campaigner. Yeah. Exactly. And people were talking about things that could have easily been cleared up um, a long time ago. People were talking about the removal of the, the fox hunting ban and things like that as part of the manifesto. She could have cleared up quite quickly, but it was a massive issue around the time. And she, she really did. She, by, by not wanting to appear on the networks by wanting to hide away and doing as little um, little campaigning as possible in public and debating etc she really cost herself I don't think Boris is going to take the same approach and but I think he is hand, far more Greg, he, he is a more divisive character than absolutely her. and she went in uh, to the election with uh, you know predictions of a hundred seat plus majority and she blew it she lost the election um, in fact nobody really won it at all Corbyn uh, is a good campaigner and did pretty well but 
The difference also with last time was UKIP didn't do particularly well in that election, nor did Lib Dems. And the two main parties, Labour and Conservative, did very well, took the vast majority of votes. Well, uh, again, this is where you've got you ask, ask yourself the question: What did what does Boris Johnson have now that Theresa May didn't have in 2017? He has a deal, so he has an exit route on the 31st of January. If you want to leave on the 31st of January, you may, you have to vote for Boris because let's face it, the, there's nowhere near the ma- a majority in this country for no deal. I think I think Farage at this point is just being greedy. I think he's trying to have an influence on the final outcome, but there's not a chance in hell that if this goes to a refer- second referendum, and this is a prediction I would happily make all day long and put uh, uh, and would never back down on this. There is no chance there is a majority for a no deal uh, in this country. I think there are numbers for it, but I don't think there's anywhere near a, uh, a majority. So Boris Johnson can go to the country right now and say, if you want this all over and done with, back me, because we will leave on the 31st of January with a deal that doesn't keep the entire UK trapped in a backstop, and he may not get the Northern Irish vote, but he's, that, that's not something that he's concerned about. This is a case of he offers leaving on the 31st of January um, and putting this all, be- not putting all behind us, obviously, phase two, the hard part, right? But yeah. it, 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 moving on to the next stage, which I think there's a lot of people are desperate to. Theresa May didn't have charisma. She didn't have, um, she wasn't a very, very, very good people person. She didn't have a deal. Uh, and Boris Johnson has all of those things. Like him or loathing, he is Marmite, but he has three things that Theresa May never had. And I think then there's obviously a lot of people asking this question, and we'll only find this out over the next six weeks, of has Jeremy Corbyn lost a bit of the shine that he had in 2017? He went from being a bit of an unexpected, quant- uh, an unknown quantity to someone that really appealed to voters and got people excited, got the young vote excited. Is he? Can you carry that on for two years? There's been a lot of uh, a lot that's happened within the Labour Party over the last two years, um, which pe- which some people may look on less favourably. There's been a lot of people defecting from the Labour Party for uh, for reasons which we won't go into. Um, uh, and you wonder how much for Neg, how much that will weigh uh, on his chances. And obviously, the Lib Dems offer a very real alternative, um, and I think that's probably more of a threat to the Labour Party in much the same way that the Brexit Party is more of a threat to the Conservative Party. As, as is the SNP too. Mm-hmm. the Conservative and Labour parties because oh, they could clean up the border. In, in Scotland and uh, that could be a, a big factor. And uh, they might uh, do a deal where they get a referendum um, for that coalition with Labour. But let's... Um, as I say, unpredictable. Yeah, uh, unpredictable. And uh, as we, we, we should, I mean, it's November the 1st today. October the 31st has passed us by. And we've, we've sort of barely mentioned it, really, in terms of the, the deadline. Uh, Boris Johnson did not die in a ditch. It wasn't do or die after all. I mean, I feel that we've already spoken about this to a certain extent, but um, how will history judge it? Uh, this is uh, deal, this is deadline number three. People forget about the April the 12th deadline as well, don't they? March 31st, April the 12th, October the 31st, now we're up to January the 31st. But markets seem to be in a fairly good place because there's been, uh, you know, no no danger of a of, a, of an exit without a deal uh, at the moment for the time being. So markets uh, have recovered in terms of currency. Uh, you mentioned the pound at 130, the dollar about 116 to the euro. And things are looking uh, uh, better uh, for sterling, aren't they? And... Uh, that you can imagine that being the case, providing uh, it doesn't look like Corbyn could win. So markets care about one thing ultimately to begin with, and that's that no deal is avoided. That's the biggest risk to the currency. That's the biggest risk to the economy um, from Brexit. So the fact that that looks as though it's been avoided um, almost entirely, not obviously entirely, but almost entirely, that is a massive relief for the pound, which is why we have seen it add 6 to 7% uh, from the lows that we were seeing a month ago. 
Uh, I, I think that from the currency perspective, again, uh, uh, that Conservative majority is probably the most favoured outcome because it offers assurance, because it offers the smooth Brexit that's uh, that the, the, the currency that the economy would like, and because, um, as per the narrative, it avoids a Corbyn government. And again, this isn't a political view. This isn't anything like that. Purely speaking from markets' perspective, that's that appears at least um, to be the viewpoint. So if, if the if the Conservatives get that majority in the in the election, I would imagine the pound may see a little bit more support here. Um, but again, we'll wait and see again. The, the, many things are unpredictable and the currency markets are, are very difficult to predict, especially in such unprecedented and uncertain times. Um, in terms of the die in a ditch moment, how will he be judged? I don't think he'll be really judged at all. People are people on the left who do not support Boris Johnson don't believe a word he says anyway. They think he's a showman. They think he's here to make grand statements and never really follow through on them. This is one of his biggest criticisms. You could make the same argument with Trump, and I know there's always that comparison, but I don't think people necessarily... People think he should be taken more seriously. People think uh, on the left that maybe he's more dangerous and that a man in his power, a person in his power, should be standing by the comments they make and should be making promises they can deliver on but I just don't think there is that thing that is that aura with Boris Johnson there's this idea that you've got to take everything he says with a pinch of salt and I think on the right I think people believe that his intentions is what matters most and I think that they're saying as long as he he believed that he could take take us out on the 31st of October whether or not he was making promises that were fully within his grasp and within his control they believed that he was doing this because he wanted and he believed that he could do so and it was everyone else that stopped him so I don't think they'll blame him either I don't think they'll blame him so Boris is in a very unique position that many politicians over the years have not had where people don't necessarily take him for his word They, they try to look beyond it and see what his ultimate reason for saying something is what his ultimate ambition is he said for many many years i do not want to be prime minister do you remember did you ever see one person actually turn around and say i don't think he wants to be prime minister <laughs> of course not it was clear from day one yeah very similar to trump in many respects <laughs> and we'll talk more about uh, the president in a moment or two but we, we should mention the bank of england next week in uh, not so super tuesday um thursday is it Thursday? Mm. Oh, I thought it was Tuesday. Apparently, it's uh, Thursday. Yeah. So I'll, I'll sack. It's not so for that. Super Thursday either. <laughs> what are we expecting? Nothing really. I mean, the, the reason why they call it Super Thursday is because once a quarter we get the new inflation report. The inflation report contains all the economic projections for the Bank of England. So where they see um, inflation being, where they see growth going, and uh, gives you an idea on interest rates uh, project um, uh, forecasts as well. Um, and this month it is the Super Thursday so this is when we get the inflation reports where we get the right. the press conference afterwards where you have Mark Carney four or five of his colleagues lined up alongside him facing the press they face a l- bunch of questions about what they think is going on here there and everywhere and where they see the path of interest rates and all that and try and get a gauge on where the Bank of England's heading the problem that we've got now is the same problem we've had for the last year is we're near the near Brexit uh, 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 and therefore the Bank of England I think is probably now content with the fact that there's a deal because it probably falls in line with that smooth Brexit that they've constantly alluded to. They said our assumptions are made on the uh, on the basis of a smooth Brexit. Uh, and that's all we have to work with, really, because the wide range of unknowns and the wide range of possible Brexit deals that, or non-no deals that can be achieved. I'd, I'd say that Boris Johnson's deal probably suits the smooth uh, Brexit, so they'll be a little bit happier with their assumptions that are being made as part of their forecast. But it doesn't mean they're necessarily going to be in too much of a rush to move interest rates. The global economy has been slowing down, so the, the, the narrative has moved from rate hikes to potential rate cuts. But the UK economy has still continued to be resilient. Inflation is around target. Wage growth is still good, and economic growth isn't too bad either so 
I'd say they're probably there's more likeliness of a rate cut over the next 12 months than a rate hike. But I think Mark Carney is going to remain very neutral. I think the key question uh, in the press conference after is probably going to be around Mark Carney himself. Because not only is the UK due to leave on the 31st of January, but so is Mark Carney. He's already extended his uh, term once and his term was extended temporarily to adhere to the new Brexit deadline to the end of January, which is where the new Brexit deadline has now been moved to. So the question, I think, is going to be, and I'm sure there's plenty, going to be plenty of interest in this, is Mark Carney going to extend his term by another three to six months to allow for us to move into that transitional period before we nominate a new Bank of England governor? Or is it going to be new Britain, new Brexit, new governor? I mean, um, I'm sure there'll be plenty of questions around that, and that may even be a, a primary part of the focus. Talking of rate cuts, let's cross the Atlantic and uh, as predicted in last week's show we did have a rate cut from the Fed although uh, Donald Trump um, is not exactly that impressed with uh, Jerome Powell he was no he, his, his latest uh, this was yesterday he says people are very disappointed in the Fed chairman despite the fact that that uh, third interest rate cut of the year he says China is not our problem the Federal Reserve is and says we will win anyway so what's, it, what's he got against Jerome Powell? It's not necessarily a case of what he's got against Jerome Powell. It's who, who does he want to be blamed if he's going into an election year uh, with slower growth, with the risk of recession, uh, with the economy not performing particularly well and with the stock markets not performing uh, as well as he would like either. Well, he doesn't want the fingers pointing at him. He doesn't want the trade war being blamed, even though I think most people would agree that the trade war is the reason why we're seeing a global economic slowdown, is the reason why... The stock markets haven't really moved higher in the last 18 months in the US. There's the reason why um, the economic figures aren't particularly great. The reason why uh, we're in an earnings recession as far as earnings season are, 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 are concerned, which we'll come to shortly. Why um, we are the outlook is, uh, is being constantly revised down by various global bodies like the IMF. The trade war is to blame, but Donald Trump doesn't want his voter base to believe that. And we have to remember that the vast majority of people who vote in general elections don't follow this so close as the, as the rest of us. Like it's, my, it's literally our jobs to follow this extremely closely, to follow all the data and remain on top of things. Whereas a lot, the, mo, mo, most people will not follow it this uh, quite so closely. So Donald Trump knows the importance of narrative and he knows the importance of setting the narrative narrative rather than allowing other people to set the narrative on your behalf. He has been building this up now for more than 12 months where he's been positioning this to be the Fed's fault um, and now he is going to very much follow through on that and he's going to, we're going to hear a lot more of why this is the Fed's fault rather than the trade war's fault for the next 12 months. But surely the rate cut will have a positive effect on the economy. Well, I mean, it's three rate cuts and it's 0.75%. So, yeah, it could be a little bit supportive. It puts a bit of extra cash in people's pockets when it comes to things like mortgage rates, etc. So, therefore, you could have a little bit of extra cash and be a little bit supportive for the economy. Markets have been very impressed with it. Remember, it was only six months ago that we were talking about inverted yield curves, the end of the world, recessions. They've never missed a recession. They've always been right, this, that, and the other. Yeah. It seems that the, the, now the yield curve's not inverted and now the risk of recession is eased and now people are just foresee slower growth rather than recessions because of the work that the Fed's done. So yeah, they, it could be uh, economically supportive because as, as of, often is the case with these things, it can become self-fulfilling if the Fed doesn't act. So it's not necessarily the difference that that 0.75% makes in terms of uh, what extra cash people have. It's what 
the other other effects that would have happened because if the Fed had not cut interest rates once, then I think the the investors would have doubled down on the pressure on the Fed. We would have seen stock markets starting to come off a lot more. We would have seen that yield curve invert a lot more. Every day on the news, everyone would have been talking about inverted yield curves, recessions, etc. It says, well, what do people do when they're told that a recession's coming? They tighten the belts. And what happens when people tighten the belts? A recession happens because we are a consumer economy. So it was important for the Fed to uh, to, to to do something, it seems. Well, again, you could debate whether it was necessary to cut three times or not. I, I'm very much in the camp that I don't think it was necessary. But clearly, from a purely from a markets perspective and a narrative perspective and a news headline perspective, they have done enough which has removed that threat in the near term. That's not to say it won't return, but for now they have, and that's where it's really important. And we should say, um, as we speak in this uh, recording, uh, this is before non-farm payroll data is released later on this afternoon. Um, some analysts I've been looking at, um, polled by Reuters, for instance, says that economists expect the US economy will have created 89,000 new jobs in October, so that is slower than the 130,000 jobs created in the previous month. Is this going to be a significant month for jobs? No, um, uh, and I think the reason is it's twofold, really. We did, these numbers are going to be a bit more volatile now. We are at 3.5% unemployment. I mean, how much lower can unemployment go before we start seeing job growth slow? I mean, I think that's just a natural tendency as we move to this part of the uh, economic cycle. The other thing with this month is concerned is that it was a, a major strike at General Motors. Uh, we're talking thousands of people who are now technically classed as unemployed as a result of the strike action, Who where the numbers will flip reverse um, when the strike does end. So that's having a massive impact on the non-farm payrolls figure and the reason why we're expecting unemployment to tick higher. So I don't think we should pay too much attention to this jobs report. Of course, if the NFP number is negative 50,000, then unemployment jumps to 3.7-3.8%, then that may suggest otherwise. And again, we are recording this prior to the number itself, so um, it's, it's hard to provide a, a reaction per se. But if, if the numbers are pretty much in line, I don't think we're going to see panic spread, because the simple fact of the matter is there are extenuating circumstances. So what's happening with the trade war at the moment? It's just a lot of rhetoric at the moment, but the rhetoric has been a bit mixed. You've got Donald Trump, who's been saying that we're very close to a phase one agreement. We're actually ahead of schedule, and uh, the the APEC summit in Chile next month has been cancelled due to political unrest uh, mm. there. So he said they're putting in a new date and a new um, uh, a new place that they can sign that phase one of the agreement off. So in the same week that we've heard that this is ahead of schedule and that they're almost there, we also had reports from. Uh, China to suggest that they don't think a, a comprehensive agreement is possible because they re- they're refusing to move on certain red lines that Donald Trump has set and I think Donald Trump is probably the same and they're saying we don't see how a comprehensive deal is possible uh, without this so maybe the, we're going to uh, see more of a movement towards mini uh, agreements that kind of make up together a comprehensive-ish deal rather than a full comprehensive deal but again these things can take time because I don't think Donald Trump is going to take that line down. Talking of China, problems in Hong Kong, which has gone into uh, a recession. And it's not surprising when you consider uh, the breakdown in normality in Hong Kong, uh, the various protests, strikes, people aren't shopping or buying anymore to the same extent, nothing like the same extent as they were. This is a big problem for the, for the Hong Kong. But is it uh, globally, does it make any difference? 
It's not necessarily that it's a global problem, but I'm sure global businesses will be looking at this and they'll have seen Hong Kong as a steady and a stable uh, place to do business, a gateway into China uh, that's still uh, an autonomous region. And now they're looking at it and saying, well, there could be, there there is now the argument that it's becoming, at least China's trying to make it less autonomous um, and therefore that loses some of its appeal. It's less steady, it's less stable, there's more more, more protesting, sorry. Um, And obviously we've all seen, uh, we've in the clips on the news it's it's got extremely uh, out of hand uh, there and it doesn't look like it's going to improve anytime soon and that's having a near-term economic impact in terms of visitor numbers so visitor numbers are off more than 40 percent i believe retail sales last month dropped 25 percent wow um so you're, you're seeing a lot of uh, issues for things like uh, hoteliers for for retail outlets etc mm-hmm. uh, who are negatively impacted and the numbers are going to continue to be like this as long as these protests do go on because they are in getting increasingly violent and um uh, 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 and, and and so we're we're in a situation whereby the, it's worrying times. There's many people who are predicting a prolonged recession for Hong Kong, and this contraction number in the last quarter was more than three percent. That's a huge contraction, um, and it's not just the near term impacts as well. Because when if and when this is resolved, then there is the the longer term impacts, like I've just said, in terms of businesses, the autonomy of the region, the peacefulness, the stableness of the region, and then also Hong Kong does rely on, a lot on, on Chinese visitors uh, for shopping and things like that. Um, and what's the narrative? going to be in China towards Hong Kong and are people going to be as keen to go to Hong Kong uh, for these things or is it going to be become more of a domestic thing and um, it, it's going to be a really interesting period now um, for, the, for, the, for, the, for Hong, the Hong Kong economy and like say in the near term it does look quite worrying. Okay, final story, earnings season continues what should we look out for in the next seven days yes yeah, so i feel we're really at the we're really at peak earnings season right now we had about 150 odd companies reporting earnings this week again it feels like a bit of a mixed bag and it's it's been an odd earnings season i highlighted this in last week's podcast it seems the con- the, the companies that you can usually rely upon to live up to expectations and deliver in certain areas the likes of uh, of amazon have uh, actually missed and then the companies like tesla that you normally expect disappointments from actually outperformed and then this week we had apple as well and again it was one of mixed um mixed quarters for Apple because obviously you've got the new handset but the handset sales continue to decline now you can look at multiple reasons for those declines um, one I think is the fact that phones are just so much more expensive now that people don't necessarily want to upgrade a thousand to fourteen hundred pound phone uh, every year because it's extremely expensive to do so um, and therefore uh, and I don't think the updates that we're seeing in the iPhones from X to XS to 11 are necessarily too significant add in the other factor as well of I believe next year obviously Apple new iPhone is going to be 5G so uh, why upgrade this year when you can wait till next year and get a 5G phone so that may inhibit people's uh, desire people to upgrade have, now people as well they, they've cottoned on more to the SIM only market that they weren't mm-hmm. actually that aware of before and now it's so cheap they just think well I'll hold, hold on to this phone for another year or two and then uh, get a, 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 the next but next generation of new iPhone or, or Samsung. The or benefits of upgrading just don't, aren't the same as they once no. were. There's, there's, they're not as significant and it's not as cheap and it's not as easy. Um, so, yeah, so that's had an impact. But then Apple has been slowly over the last number of couple of years been transitioning its business away from focusing on handset sales to focusing on the services side of the business. Apple Music, the Apple Store, uh, Apple TV. Uh, obviously, they're now looking to compete with the Netflixes of this world uh, along with Disney and others to try and focus more on the services side of the business and drive revenue growth there. And they're still seeing a lot of revenue growth in these areas but not naturally people are still focused on handset sales because it's just for years and years years there's been an obsession 
on a quarterly basis with iPhone sales, especially around the launch of new iPhones. So th- that was a disappointment in terms of this earnings, uh, the, these earnings this week. But like I said, there's been a lot of earnings this week. Caterpillar um, uh, reporting as well, and again, that was um, a little bit, uh, a little bit concerning from uh, quite seeing quite clearly the impacts that the trade war is having. And we've got many more companies reporting next week so i'd say we're probably at peak earnings season now so we've got a lot of the big really really big names the big tech names we are the big banks etc out the way so we will slowly now start to see that peter off um but i'd say it's probably been a bit of a mixed earnings season so far slightly ahead of expectations but very much still in an earnings recession uh the last figs i saw were i think around minus three percent earnings growth for this current quarter uh, so that's the third consecutive quarter of year on year earnings decline First time since 2016, um, and I think that's expected to change in the current quarter, but I guess we'll wait and see because there has been uh, worrying uh, economic figures that suggest the slowdown is continuing. Last but not least, Craig, we have to mention the, the rugby and the Rugby World Cup final on Saturday morning. I was thinking, actually, Harold Wilson uh, once famously apparently won an election because England won the World Cup in 1966. <laughs> so I'm wondering whether Boris Johnson will be hoping more than anybody else for an England victory and get a bit of that feel-good factor. Uh, England are the favourites after more or less demolishing uh, the All Blacks uh, last weekend. So it's only fair that I ask your prediction. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I wish I had a coin here to toss so I can not take responsibility for it. I, I think England will do this. I, I really do. I don't oh, want to jinx no. them. I know. I was, I was half right last week. I got the South Africa right. I mean, okay. uh, so I, th- I do think England will do this. England has looked formidable um, in, in this World Cup. And I think that, that showing against New Zealand last weekend was absolutely incredible. So I think they're going to have too much probably just about for South Africa. But South Africa are a very fantastic team. So it's far from a foregone conclusion. Um, like the, your, your reference to the Prime Minister thing. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it is. It'll, funny it'll be a good start to the the first official week of the campaign for Boris Johnson. I mean, he can't take credit for it, but uh, he's very much going to be tweeting about it if we yes, win, congratulating yes. the team, being the big rugby man. Who knows? Yeah. He probably won't have watched it or anything like that. Corbyn but this doesn't is... strike me to be much of a of a rugger. <laughs> I was just about to say, say, poor Jeremy yeah. can't be uh, can't do right for doing wrong. Yeah. The, 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 he, he, at the end of the game last week, I believe he tweeted out his congratulations to the team, and then following that, people someone tweeted out a picture of him asleep on the train during the game. So. <laughs> So like so then he was criticised for not watching the England game and instead just tweeting the congratulations. Can't do right for doing wrong, but I mean, I mean, I, I imagine he's a he's a very busy man right now. But I, I I can't imagine either of them are particularly interested in the game itself. But I'm sure they'll both be full of congratulatory and wanting Absolutely. to jump on the bandwagon if they do win. Okay, well, hopefully we wish, win. we wish England uh, all the best, and uh, we'll speak to you again this time next week. Thank you. From the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.